Hey friends, when we find things that we really dig, we definitely want to share them with you. And Boondockers Welcome is one of the coolest things that we've discovered while we've been on the road. All you have to do is pay a small annual fee and then you get access to staying with folks all across the U.S. And we have just been completely blown away by the instant community we found and we've made lifetime friends that have gone above and beyond with their kindness and their generosity. If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link there where you can sign up and we think you'll enjoy it and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or a camper with a toilet and cooking facilities, and then you can stay for free all around the country. Give it a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And we hope you enjoy it as much as we do. Oh, friends, thank you for coming back and joining us for another episode of Protect Your Noggin. And this season, we're looking at the teachings of Jesus, and every other show, every other episode in this season, we are addressing a chapter from our upcoming book study, which is about this way in which Jesus provides teachings that can help us outfox religious wolves. On today's show, we are now going to come back to you with some of the questions we've received, some feedback we've been getting from people who are reading and using these studies in their in their close close knit groups, and reflecting on some questions that are really important for us to, to to circle back to because they're not easy questions. We're going to be look, we're going to be looking at the idea of agency for ourselves and for young people, and how to cultivate it. We're going to look at unconditional positive regard, this concept that Stacy's done some research on, and then mandatory church for kids. Is it something we should entertain? Is it something that we should enforce? These and other questions will be answered on this show as we have gotten now through three chapters and they've raised some really important issues. Let's go. Stacey, we can never get to all of the questions, and when we do get to a question, we end up spending an hour and a half on one. So we've got to be careful about this. <laughs> yes. I want to dive right in, if you don't yes. mind, then, because of that. Yeah, so let me give a specific question that was brought to us. It says, how do we move beyond the system of Moloch to the yoke of Jesus, from in- extrinsic to intrinsic, from fear to love? I'm hard-pressed to find a single area in my life that is completely motivated by love and joy. I love working with kids and teaching about Jesus, but I find that most of the time I show up to work because I'm afraid of getting in trouble if I don't or because I need the money and stability. I love my fiancé, but often I feel like I relate to her in a mechanical or fear-based way. I need to do this, otherwise she'll be mad or sad. I need to do this, otherwise I'll be letting her down. I call my parents because I feel like a bad son if I don't, and I know that I should honor my parents. I love fishing and hiking and being outdoors and many other fun hobbies, but I often now feel either guilty or lonely after partaking in these activities because I do them by myself, and I can't help but think perhaps there was a better use for my time, something more service or gospel-oriented. Isn't sharing the gospel more important than my personal pleasure? I have a hard time being motivated to do pretty much anything, and then I feel more guilty because I don't want to do anything. Yeah, that, 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 I bet a lot of people can resonate with that. 
we we feel like a lot of our lives our uh, our choices are really dictated by others. What right. do you think about this? How would you respond? Yeah, I think it's important to think of this concept of agency. And I, I think, first of all, the acceptance of reality, the acceptance of why you are doing certain things and what things you know you are doing and what reasons you attribute to doing them is the, the starting point. Mm-hmm. And then when you see the reality of what, what, you know, why, you know, what you're doing, then it gives you the ability to take back some of your own power. Are you just a victim of other people's desires and wishes on you or what you're supposed to do? Or do you actually make decisions that that, the things that you're going to do? And I think that the whole point is, is that until you realize that you do have decisions that you can make, that power that you find, that's when when you can then do things with unconditional love then you can do it for a, a deeper purpose it doesn't mean that everything that you do is stuff that you're just going to like to do <laughs> you know right. it doesn't mean you know that you know you're yeah, you're never going to do something that you're not enjoying or whatever but it does mean that you're making that choice to do it when you do do that so that you're not just going through life sort of unconsciously if you will just fulfilling all these obligations that are on you that instead you are making certain decisions to act in certain ways for certain people also you might realize that some of these ways of relating are unhealthy and perhaps you do need to put down some healthy boundaries that you need to give yourself permission to say no to something when you are just doing it so that you're not making somebody sad (laughs) you know or that sometimes you know you really do need that time alone you know and, and be out in nature and you really shouldn't feel guilty about that. In fact, if you don't get that time to recharge, you're going to be less effective when you are working with the the people that you serve the uh, and, and taking care of your loved ones. You know, you need to also make sure that you take that space for yourself. And so it's when you can accept the reality that you take back that power and you make these decisions that you can start to initiate some real change in your life and not just feel like everything is being done to you. It also allows you when you are doing these things and even if you are making sacrifices, you're willfully doing it. You're making you have a a choice in it. You have agency in what you choose to do or not do. Yeah. Agency doesn't mean you get to do everything you want all the time, only what you want to do and that you're always fully empowered. Sometimes the social forces of life, economic forces, political forces, why you might not be able to be totally free to make a wide range of choices. You're going to then be freely choosing to do something that you don't immediately have an emotional right. desire to do, but because you think you should do it. Right. Well, and, and, and also maybe, you know, have a difficult conversation perhaps with your parents that you can't necessarily do it on quite the routine that you have been doing it. And that yet when you do engage in the conversations, you're a hundred percent there and you want to talk with them rather than feeling like it's something you have to do. I think you'll notice a, a, a richer conversation when you're doing it, you know, when you're choosing to be a part of that conversation rather than thinking that you, you know, have to, <laughs> you have to like, have to call in and, and put in your, your dues. You know, the other thing is there will be times where, Maybe you are completely 100% powerless. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe, you know, and so you don't have that power. But I think when you are able to accept the reality of what's going on and that you are powerless in a certain situation, you are still getting 
a, a, a sense of your agency back. Yeah. You can also then make decisions that will help you to get the help that you need, or if, if it's if it's possible. In, in a case like an addiction, like they even say that until somebody recognizes there's a problem in themselves, everybody else can say it till this, you know, till they're blue in the face. But until the person wants to make a change, it's not going to happen. I saw a scientist the other day at a conference, Ann Gauger, and she had commented on our piece on how to get out of a cult. Mm -hmm. And she asked if it's possible. And so uh, I didn't I didn't have a chance to respond online to her question. And to be honest, I wasn't sure, right? I realized these are the things that you should do. And, and the article is just kind of throwing out some ideas. You, you need to have a, a plan. You need to have maybe if you can find an apartment or a friend, somebody that's going to help you to just get some distance from your cult before <laughs> you make a move to the next level. And and I said, so, you know, Anne, what, what are you saying? Like, what, what is your criticism of this idea of, you know, a checklist of things to remember when you're trying to get out of a cult? She says you can't get out of a cult. Hmm. It like it can't be done, mm -hmm. and I mean it probably depends on the nature of the cult. Certainly, right? people I mean sometimes have left you can it. you can sometimes very loosely you know label things as as cult or culty like behaviors. Yeah. But if it's a real if cult, you're in like a you're real, saying, you know, I mean yeah. you're they pretty much try try to render you powerless. So it, there aren't options for that's, you. That's 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 totally right. And so she said the only way you can really get out is to be thrown out. Now, I think that that's, you know, she's not a social scientist, <laughs> so she's, she's in a different hard science. But she's, but she's probably right to some extent that we know a lot of people who, who know that they're in a bad relationship with a person or with a substance or with a religion. Mm -hmm. And they shock themselves or it's surprising to themselves the ways in which they're incapacitated right. to, to make very simple decisions. And this is something we've been saying over and over again in, in conversations. The truth is obvious. It's simple. Hearing the truth is going to be repetitive. You'll start to see these things come up over and over again. Whatever. There's the a clarity to it. There's a simpleness. And sometimes impossible. It, yeah. It can be <laughs> right? sometimes the hardest mm. possible thing that you could ever do. So the other day when, when I was speaking at this, uh, the Qui Bono lecture at Concordia and uh, kind of sharing some of my research um, basically on this idea that you should think what you think you should think. That was the punchline to the the title of my talk mm -hmm. and the title was the posters were going around Jeff Mallinson will tell you exactly what to think <laughs> right and I did I said <laughs> you need to think exactly what you think you should think and uh, many of my dear colleagues colleagues that I respect more than my own <laughs> my own opinions uh, were worried about this they thought that sounds like Nietzsche or something this is like a radical like a radical independence like will you just think anything you want Mm -hmm. You want to just yeah? Does anything go? Yeah, no. Or or that you shouldn't be in community as you come up with conversations. No. What I'm saying though is that you can't let somebody else do your thinking for you. If you think you should have the support of a family or tradition or holy scriptures or reason or spiritual enlightenment, whatever it is, you're the one who's going to have to make that call. Mm -hmm. And it's dangerous for us to teach people that they shouldn't make that call on what their, mm -hmm. you know, their sources of judgment will be. Uh, what in theology, it's called the formal principle where, where your ideas come from. 
if you if you think that reason is more important than scripture, you're going to have a different view about things than your dad and mom will, for instance. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you're going to have to you're going to have to have agency on what that is, and we'll get into this over and over on this particular show because right. I think all the questions really come back to that. But when but one more thing on it. So I asked the young, uh, I actually, I think it was young women. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was young people. You were there. I said I, young people. What did I say? I don't know exactly what you said, but I do know that you were saying that if you are in a relationship where you aren't being treated right. You probably are in a relationship. As I said, several of you are probably in a relationship right now that you know is toxic for you. Right. And so after, after this lecture, go tweet <laughs> or not tweet, go text that person and start the process of getting out of that. Yeah, and then so because of that, several we've heard several relationships that have come to an end. I'll be walking down <laughs> the so, I'll be walking down the corridor, and somebody will come over and give me a fist bump and tell me how they got out of a bad relationship the next day. You know, and we're, we're we're laughing about it, but we we are we are excited to see people take back their agency. That actually made me happy. To make, sometimes we laugh about things that are uncomfortable. Like last right. week, we were laughing at all sorts of horrific things. And I think uh, nervous laughter. This is right. this is actually yeah yeah you. If you think you needed to do that within 24 hours of the talk, then that's exactly. I don't even need to know right. the circumstances. You needed to get out of and that. And sometimes it's unfortunate because some young people, they you know, they really want to get married. They see this as an opportunity to, you know, start that, you know, that those steps in that direction. Especially at Christian colleges, church-related <laughs> yes. colleges, ring by spring or your money back. <laughs> and I mean I know I know in our with our own son, our youngest son that you know, or Early on, especially, you know, he would just sort of, he would get involved in relationships when the girl came, you know, came to him. I don't think he's embarrassed of us talking about this. I think he would, I think he, I know he would recognize this, that he, he, like, he's like me, you know, you kind of go to the dance with the gal who asked you. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) well, that's great. Like, what do you like about her? That she'll go to the dance. (laughs) Right. That seems like a good enough reason. Yeah. And his current relationship, what's different about it was he actually was like, wait a minute, this is a girl that. I like her, you know, and so he, mm-hmm. he pursued her, mm-hmm. you know. Not that so, he didn't like those other ladies, no. it's just that he needed to feel like... He was empowered. What is it that I like about yeah. this individual and why do I want to hang out with them and be in this relationship? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and hopefully hopefully she thought that out too mm-hmm. <laughs> and chose him as yeah. well. Otherwise, those you kids know. did right now, but, <laughs> but, it, but it's, it's, it's that agency that sometimes people just never even get to ask themselves that question. You know, I, we know there's obviously complicated you know, things in life. But in general, I think if we're able to at least first ask us, the, the, ask the question of what's going on here, what's the reality of this situation? And then, you know, do I have any power to change this? And then what do I want to do because of that? You know, what decisions do I want to make? And that's where you're going to see real change. And then finally, these, these people that were, you know, that broke up from these toxic relationships can hopefully then seek a real relationship, you know, and, and start, the real path of, I mean, marriage is hard. <laughs> if, if already, you know, you're, you're, you're dating and it feels off and, you yeah. know, I mean, it's just an uphill hey, kids, battle. Take it it doesn't, Jeff and Stacey. it doesn't get any easier. No, 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 you're not gonna, you're not gonna get around that one. We know it is so hard. We experience it day to day, it being life mm-hmm. and how hard it is. But there are times when we don't have that pure motivation. We want to cultivate that in young people, but we also realize sometimes we don't have it in ourselves. Sometimes, you know, it's kind of a first world, uh, as they say, problem to be able to ask, like, you know, am I fulfilled with mm-hmm, my job? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't get to ask that. Sometimes you just get to think, 
you know, your lucky stars, God, you know, whoever helped you get the job for a job that you don't love doing, but it helps you because you love your family and, you know, you're, you're finding empowerment. Sometimes you get up and do things that aren't pleasant and you don't have the intrinsic motivation. You want to get there. You want to steer your life in those directions, but sometimes your motivation is going to be indirect. Right. And so that you, yeah, you're looking out for your family. It, it's good to notice too, if you are unhappy in your job, can you keep your eyes and ears open for other opportunities when they arise and, and just keep that on your radar? You know, what, what maybe can you do to sort of build up a resume in a certain direction so that you can switch over, you know, in your, in your job or, or something that will make you happier. Two more things related to this question, especially with a lot of young people. If you're going into a major cause your mommy and daddy told you to, you should get out, get out of that right I mean, now. It's, you're <laughs> going to spend, you're going to spend more years in college or in debt that you can't really pay mm. <laughs> because you're just, you don't, you're going to end up working at Starbucks cause you don't like the field you ended up in. You know, <laughs> there was a dude in grad school that I think was like, he was threatening to, to, to stab me with the, it was a butter knife. So it wasn't like the kids have to deal with these days with the school shootings. It's just a butter knife, you know, but he was losing it because he was out there in England pursuing a, a degree in originally in medicine and he kind of flamed out for mental health reasons. So they just put him in theology as of course you, (laughs) of course you do. And he said, "Uh, Hey Jeff, uh, after uh, lunch, uh, are you going to kick my butt or should I kick your butt? And I said, how about, uh, how about neither? He says, no, like one of the, one way or the other, somebody's butt's going to get kicked. And it was, it like, he didn't have anything against me. He was just losing it. He was under so much stress and there was just all of this pressure on him to have some kind of graduate degree from Oxford, even if he came back empty handed with respect to a medical Mm. degree. And so that is a recipe for hell, a living hell. And parents, please free your kids from this. You might think it's, it's going to be helpful in the, in the long run. It's not going to be helpful in the long Mm -hmm. run. It's not even going to be financially helpful. If you love your kids, that's probably the reason why you're pressuring them into a career you think is going to be lucrative. Yeah. But in the long run, that could also hurt. One other thing about this particular uh, listener email, I know that there are people that are really clearly introverts. I am. <laughs> yeah. And you need to give yourself permission to have those moments of recharging. Otherwise, you're you're actually not very helpful to everybody else. For me, I get I get irritable, you know, so uh, I'm unpleasant to be around if I don't. You I know? won't say yes, but it, it, I'm not going <laughs> to deny it. You did say yes. That's good. How did That's I say great. yes? You, uh, I think you said. Well, I was nodding. Where I, I was <laughs> nodding while I was saying I'm pleading the fifth. No, it's true. Like, it, but no, but it it's doesn't real, do me yeah. any good to force you to be around. Like, you know, we were at a funk. If we I'm... were at a funk concert at the Wayfarer. It was a great band. You liked it when we were at Joshua Tree Music Festival. But the funk band in a small room room with all those people well, and in a certain it stresses after you out. a certain length of time i get overstimulated and, and you have to have respect for your own yes i for me reaction. to yes and so sometimes i have the tendency to judge myself and be disappointed and frustrated in myself that why can't i just stay in here you know why can't mm. i just listen to this concert and finish it out but it, it's just not going to go well for me if i don't admit it now it doesn't mean necessarily that you have to leave the concert. I just need to step outside, right? So to be fair, if it is at the uh, at the wonderful Belly Up Bar and you go outside, they will not <laughs> let you back in. At which point, I do have to go outside, so you're not out in the alley by yourself. But other than that, <laughs> what I'm trying to say though is just because I make a Friends, decision. That's an inside. <laughs> 
just because just because I make a decision for myself yes. doesn't mean that you have to then follow along and do the same thing. Generally speaking, that's right. If I yeah. need to make a healthy decision for me, and yet for you, there's a different answer, then you are free to make that decision to to stay or do what you need to do. But if I just disregard and I if I judge myself and disregard yes. what my needs are at that time and what I need to do for my own self, my own health, yes. my own sanity, then it just gets worse <laughs> and well, it just builds. And so none of that has to go anywhere. If I, if I just say, Hey, I need to step outside or I need, you know, whatever, or maybe go to a, a quieter corner of the, the venue or something, mm-hmm. you know, just that I can't be right there with the speakers in my ears, you know, <laughs> in the small little space where, you know, there's no seats really there's on the fringes right so mm-hmm. because you're in that space right that's you know an emotional experience for people to be standing together very tight together and um i think to not not even to joke around about it i think it is true that if i am in a place where i can give you agency for your own space mm-hmm. and you're in a place where you're going to respect your own emotions and reaction to a space mm-hmm. then I think we wouldn't have gotten the situation where I didn't know where you were because what, what happened with Stacey's like ah, I'm having too much like you know too much crowding you went and got your own fresh air but they wouldn't let you back in mm-hmm. so now it's like oh where's Stacey and so like I'm in the middle of the concert not knowing what to do but I think what's really healthy for all of us in our lives is to say you know my body's reacting to this scene right. in a way that's... That's the reality. Yeah, that's the reality. And so you have compassion on it. You have you just discerning it. And then I can do the same. That's going to be the best situation. Because sometimes when I... If I, if I judge that, if I'm not willing to accept the reality, then I feel powerless. And then sometimes if I feel powerless, what do I do? I want to... I have every, every... At a certain point, I reach a point where I say I have to run. Mm-hmm. And I just... I. You sometimes just I do just that. have yeah. to disappear, and <laughs> yeah. that's not healthy for me. You know, that's like you know the way me, Jesus did it. Is he got on a longboard and kind of rolled out into Galilee and just kind of checked out the sunset. But Jesus, but Jesus does this, even yeah. you know he he stepped away from time to time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he did not exactly. do it on a longboard, but the <laughs> cultural equivalent, perhaps. Right, uh, less bougie. <laughs> so the healthier thing would be for me to recognize this reality tell you what I need to do right. in the situation, and I make that decision. And then go and do what I need to do to take care of myself. And mm. then there's no misunderstandings. There's no worrying right. and further havoc. There's well, and my my inclination is sometimes to say you must be pissed at me. And now yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't know where you are. You're I'm mine. like holding two beers in the middle of a crowd, so I'm claustrophobic. Two beers. I don't know where you are, and I feel like maybe I did something to offend you when it had nothing to do with that. So had nothing. Just, yeah. This is just about honesty, and this is true. If you don't feel like praying, if you don't feel like reading your Bible, if you don't feel like going to church, and you've got to d- like do these things for your career or whatever, um, it's not doing you any good to deny what your responses are. It's good to reflect on those and just honor. What's actually going on? I know that, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, I think he he finally started to pray when he gave up on praying as a like a performance that he was doing for other people. Mm-hmm. And he actually just prayed. Mm-hmm. Like prayer is really great when you can actually do it. You're actually reaching out mm-hmm. to the transcendent, and you're not you're not doing it as a show. It's yeah. a very different experience. The other thing too that I'm that I'm learning is that when if I have an emotional response to something, if I just stop for a second, do some, you know, sort of go inside myself, figure out what what is triggering this emotional response? Why, you know, why 
why am I feeling this way? What's going on here? And then and see if there's a root that I can get to that is the real cause of it. Because sometimes, it, you know, sometimes it's just hormones. So I, don't, I can be sad sometimes and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's good for me to then recognize that so that I'm not falsely attributing other things that all of a sudden I happen to notice later, I'm sad. And then I notice there's this other thing. And then I'm saying, Oh, that's the reason I'm sad when that wasn't it at all. Um, And that sometimes it is going to just be hormones, you know, but there are times where your emotional responses to things, no matter what kind of emotion, whether it's sad or anger or whatever, if you stop and kind of analyze it for a second and really be honest with yourself of what is triggering that, what is, you know, what's causing that, that's the first step to being able to then, I think, move past it and, and to get to the bottom of it if you need to have a conversation with a loved one or whatever before it builds up into this big problem. You know, um, it's just it's being able to recognize the reality of something is huge. <laughs> if, if it's nothing else, that's all you can do at first, you know. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe you'll learn more what to do with it each time once you start to see a pattern or something. But anyway. That's great. So it's a good question. Hard. Yeah, there was another uh, question that we got. It was somebody that's way back in the first episode where we talked about uh, Dobson and, and that's kind of, he was raised sort of with with that model. And Dobson getting a whacking. <laughs> yeah. And he was asking about alternative ways to disciplining or raising kids. And I want to mention that in, that we did discuss qu- quite at length um, in season one, episode five, there's a show called Sacrificing Our Kids in the Name of Religion. So any of you that maybe are hearing this podcast or, or haven't, you know, heard that, that one, mm-hmm. we do discuss, um, you know, about conditional parenting and what does it mean to have um, unconditional love and unconditional parenting. We look at the work of Alfie Cohn, K-O-H-N, and you can you can check that out from from that episode, we've got some links, but basically he's saying that that punishment and reward are ineffective. They're not just cruel, they're ineffective. And, and he actually does say that there is a, a short-term effectiveness that can happen. You might see some, you might see immediate results and it looks like it's working. And you want that so bad. But it doesn't. Got the kids to behave. But that's just extrinsic and it's not internalized. And so the kids will behave for the moment, but you're probably going to be dealing with that issue all over again many, many times until you can develop an intrinsic motivation for their behavior. But one of the things that I want to kind of expand on a little bit is something called unconditional positive regard. Sometimes it might be easy for somebody to say, oh, of course, I, I love my kids unconditionally. And yet then they still will could you know we'll do, we'll practice conditional parenting mm-hmm. and so what i want to what i want to suggest is the possibility of looking at it through unconditional positive regard and this is maybe you know when you are thinking of parenting but also if this can apply to any of your interactions that you have with you know coworkers or strangers it can be you know anybody you have an interaction with so unconditional positive regard is a concept developed by Carl Rogers. He's the creator of person-centered counseling and also uh, one of the founders of humanistic therapy. But there is a blog that kind of summarizes sort of this concept a little easier. That's uh, on the, it's the Harley Therapy uh, Counseling blog that I'm going to be quoting from. And we'll link to it and again. We'll, yeah, we'll put on the show Protectyournoggin.org and you can go into podcast. You click on podcast and you, you go down to the episode that we're in. 
Yeah, and it says here, if you were lucky enough to have had a healthy childhood and good parenting, your parent or guardian loved and accepted you regardless of how you behaved or what you did. If you made mistakes or had a temper tantrum, it was okay. When you were a teenager with wildly different opinions to your parent, that was entirely acceptable. You were trying out new things and discovering who you are, and you were offered unconditional positive regard. And it continues, if your childhood did not contain unconditional unconditional positive regard, you were shown disapproval if you did something that did not match what your parent wanted or if you disagreed with their idea of what was correct. You were only accepted if you fit into their wants and needs. Perhaps you were taught that some of your emotions were bad and that you must learn to hide them and be more pleasing. You were shown conditional positive regard. So it's this, there's this freedom that you have in discovering who you are, even though others may disagree with you. It goes on to kind of highlight some other points of, you know, what are, what are some integral aspects of unconditional positive regard. And one of them is that you would expect people to have internal resources. And that means that, like, so how often, like, do we assume that others don't have the skills or knowledge to figure things out by themselves? Like, we need to be helpful by telling them certain mm-hmm. things. And that's, I think that's the, the where we we're telling people how to think <laughs> kind of thing mm-hmm. that gets a little scary, right? They can, they can do their own research. There's, there is something inside of them that can help direct what it is that they need, you know, to learn or find out from a situation, right? Another aspect is, that we should suspend our own judgment and biases. So how often are we, you know, looking for people to kind of mess up um, that you're going to think that, oh, what they're doing is, is wrong. There's also when you're listening, are you actually listening? Or are you listening with sort of your own, like you're going to have your own angle on something and say, oh, you know, you messed up there. You've got that wrong. You need to allow others to be different. And that you need to also allow yourself to be different and that you need to practice self-compassion and then compassion for others. And and this is really hard because basically it's, it is saying that you're, you're giving the person space to be who they are and to explore what they are, even if you don't fully agree with them. People have such a hard time with this. Right. So they think like, I... I've got the right answer. I, they just need to accept my right answer. And that might be true. But the hard part is, is that if they don't internalize the process and come to some of these conclusions themselves, that they, at some point, especially also if they feel judged for what their opinions are, the conversation ends. You stop having a real conversation. We need to give them the respect and we need to treat them as individuals with rights and that they are entitled to have an opinion. Often we're too afraid to ask questions, to hear their answers, and to engage in those difficult conversations. And sometimes you won't know the answer, <laughs> you know, like if, you know, or, or you might struggle together. <laughs> or sometimes you know the answer and you don't want it spoken out loud. Yeah. Right. And so, and so, Giving kids, I think, I think what I'm hearing from a lot of this that, that 
resonates really well with a lot of the other stuff we've been looking at is this idea that we should treat if, if you know this listener questions about raising kids and discipline treating kids like people is yes. really really important the sooner that you can physically do it and i think it's a lot earlier than people think yeah. it's not always about being a buddy but it's about treating people like adults asking them questions about their own thoughts and opinions and a lot of the time just asking those questions will help them to clarify their own moral values. That doesn't mean that their moral values are right, but it allows them to kind of tease out where are they getting their, their values from, how are they making their decisions. We could think that because they're saying a certain thing, that they must be saying this because of this reason where maybe, so maybe your child is saying they don't want to go to church. Mm-hmm. Well, ask them why. Why don't they want to go to church? And be able to really listen and to hear what they're saying. And don't say no if they give you an answer. <laughs> yeah. That is a fact. That is, I'm unhappy or it scares me or I'm bored. Well, and if then, they're bored, you know, then you also, are. I would also say, then you, you follow, do a follow up question. What about it is boring? You know, what about it makes you unhappy? You've got to keep sometimes asking the questions to get at the meat of it, you might find that they just don't have any friends or that they're being treated poorly, that maybe they actually wouldn't mind going to church, but just trying a different church or a different youth group might be important to them being able to have a healthy environment with which to learn about God. And let's think of a corrective. Maybe they're being lazy. Yeah. But asking them the question, why is this boring to you? Do mm-hmm. you always want to just be entertained? That could be a very helpful teaching moment. But you're doing it the way you would do it to a brother or a, or a peer mm-hmm. in that you're saying, are there any experiences that you would entertain? Are there any weekly activities that you would put into your life that would be good for you maybe that you don't immediately enjoy? Those kinds of questions I think are all too seldom asked yeah. young people because – we're doing their thinking for them. And once they get old enough to do their own thinking, sometimes it's a terrifying experience. They're not used to it. Mm-hmm. And they defer to somebody else. Now, uh, by the way, friends, in, in all of these, we're not saying that you should you know, develop kids that are unruly no. and spoiled. No. I don't think that's what comes of this, though. I think, I think that the, the kids that I've known that have been very interesting and self-assured or also sometimes the most respectful because Mm -hmm. they're not acting out. Right. Well, and sometimes too, if a child is acting out, even taking the time to figure out why are they acting out? Because there's so many times where maybe, maybe that's the child that wasn't, you know, hasn't really been getting the attention because the other children in the family, for whatever reason, are requiring more. And that maybe just sort of spending a day, doing an outing with them <laughs> might be what they need to realize that they, you know, <laughs> that they are loved too, that mm-hmm. there is time and space for them as well in the family. There's so many things. If we make assumptions, we're, we, we can't get to the root of the problem. So being able to, again, have these conversations and ask these questions is key. The other thing is, is that if you don't respect what, you know, that they have opinions or that they can make certain decisions for themselves, when they get to turn 18 or whatever, when they move out of the house, like, I mean, they often will, you know, you're going to get two, you're going to get two different children, one or often one super, you know, you might be a super obedient child that will do everything that you say probably for the rest of their life. Um, Maybe if they eventually get a spouse, 
then maybe it goes in that same behavior, you know, of following all the rules will turn to whatever their spouse tells them. Maybe it's always you they're looking up to, but they will never really have their own autonomy. The other possibility is that then they want nothing to do with you and (laughs) they'll run away. Neither case is that really what I don't think anybody wants for their children. So you've got to think about, you know, what is it that we are doing? What is the goal when we are parenting our children and raising them? Um, What do we want for them? And is what we are doing actually leading up to the, the those results right like mm-hmm. or is it something else entirely so super strict legalistic parenting doesn't work anecdotally it doesn't work in terms of the research from Alfie Cohen and others and yet we sometimes still have this nagging sense a lot of people sometimes have this nagging sense that that we we need to keep the the pressure on yeah. now unconditional positive regard stacy it doesn't mean that you always th- you have to agree with whatever somebody's no, saying. No, 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 no. In fact, you often won't agree with what mm. they're saying, but you give them the space to have their own opinions and their own thoughts and their own beliefs. I would also say that there are times when I have had, you know, sometimes difficult conversations with our children and I have told them truths about what I've learned and sometimes I've had to learn the hard ways and I give them that wisdom. People don't mind hearing your stories and learning the lessons in your wisdom. Absolutely. I mean, my experience, whenever I've done that with them, they've been super receptive to it and appreciative. Students sometimes get tired of me telling my long stories. That's a different (laughs) issue. But the life stories that apply to wisdom tend to work out fine. Right. One of the things, too, is, as I mentioned before, being a type one personality, I have a very strong sense of right and wrong. The one of the things the enneagram the enneagram yes yes. (laughs) Um, one of the things that it had mentioned in there is if I give people the space to sort of figure out for themselves what's right and wrong like if I try to just tell them how it is I'm actually stealing a piece of life's experience from them Mm -hmm. um, that they won't have a situation in order which to learn this maybe this deep truth for themselves um, and actually be able to internalize it. So I think there's that aspect too. Again, I'm not saying that you just allow, you know, you just want to watch your children blindly go down dark paths. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Like I said, you should share stories or of even examples and things and like that. And sometimes if they're hurting others or hurting themselves, you just, you're just going yes. to have to, just, and you have you know, to blow the whistle. You, you have, have to, to intervene. intervene. Yes. Sometimes the hardest thing as a parent is to let your children make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been one of the hardest things for me. I mean, it's like you don't want that for them. You want to be able to pick up all the pieces. Well, and it's not even just picking up, not letting the pieces be dropped. I think in that. In the first place. Yes. And so as our kids as toddlers, we let them run and sometimes they're going to fall. But mm-hmm. if we never let them run, they're never going to learn how to run safely. And and while they're in your care is a, is a chance to be able to explore life. Stacy, you're sounding like both a a kind of snowflake, woke, hippie mom who's permissive and somebody who's hardcore mama bear, like, you know, tough love, go skin your knee and skin your knee. And I think we are saying that both of those things are true. And, and that is that the love that we give is that is that respect mm-hmm. and that, in our case, we think the teachings of Jesus imply unconditional love, but certainly at a practical and pragmatic approach to parenting and, and relationships 
unconditional positive regard, those things are completely compatible with kids skinning their knee when they're they're jumping off a, a, a you know a board on their BMX bike. That that those things actually are part of the same thing. I mean, I think this is where we can yeah. bring the hippies <laughs> and the tough kids together to say that that actually the hippies and the motorcyclists. They yeah. both wanted to be free. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just different ways. And it's a really hard balance. And it's really hard to learn how to, you know, properly, you know, walk that balance. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, have compassion on yourself <laughs> when you do it wrong. Have compassion on your children when they do it wrong. And I, I think when you do have that unconditional love that will that will also help mop up a whole world of mistakes um as well as the fact though too that if if your your if your children do start to wander down in sort of you know less than desirable areas that you would you know you just wouldn't agree with necessarily their life choices of you know not being a a pastor say and instead they're going to go be you know a teacher or you know or or an artist or whatever that or an accountant or an accountant, whatever or it a is. Yes. What I'm just saying is, is that, you know, I just had to throw in some hard science type stuff. there. <laughs> if, if they, if they make this decision for themselves and it doesn't work out and, but you gave them the space to be able to do it. I mean, they're going to come back to you to help, you know, when they need, when they need to come to a safe place. Right. And, and lick their wounds a little bit, you know, they're going to know you've always been there for them. And I think that's the important part that we also are willing and able to be there for them, even if we didn't fully agree with, you know, their career choices or something like that, um, that, you know, that we're ready to accept them back with open arms when they when they need to. What else we got? So as this question says, as a youth pastor myself, if I just tell people that they don't have to show up to church, my hidden fear is that they will stop coming. I'll lose my job. And even worse, they'll drift away from the faith. Thinking about it, I guess the reality is that most likely a lot of the people within my congregation probably do attend and bring their families out of a sense of guilt, fear, obligation. That's a hard one. It's a very hard one. <laughs> and it's a and it's a hard one for a couple reasons. One is people really love doing what they do and taking a principled stand could cause them not to do what they love to do. In this mm-hmm. case, mm-hmm. a person who's a youth pastor. Right? right. So, you know, when when we, we started out, that was that was my first kind of job when we got married. Mm-hmm. I had other jobs before that, but when we got married, that's what I was doing. And we we actually, we had, a, you know, we had like five kids, <laughs> five, five kids that did have to go. But then we, we, we built the thing up with the community. That yeah. was nice. But, uh, but that, that was a real hard one because if I would have come in and just said, no, I don't. I'm not going to support the parents' decision to force them to come. Right. They would have rode, rode me out before the end of my first pay period. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? They're not going to put up with that. Right. They're not going to put up with that. What do, you, what do you think, Stacey? How does this, this – this does tie in, really, a lot of what we've been talking about on the show so far. Yeah. There's a couple things. One is if all of a sudden – you know, if that's been the requirement and that's how you've gotten your numbers and all of a sudden you say, oh, no, it's not how it's going to work anymore – I can guarantee you, you probably will have a huge drop in numbers. Yeah. <laughs> if you gave the people the freedom to not show up or have their kids show up um, and still be able to, you know, choose to be a part of this, or maybe, you know, they can come in, you know, as they're mm-hmm. able to, you know, throughout the, the years or whatever. Then, I mean, that's why if they were there out of obligation, 
then and you give them that freedom they're they will drop so just mm-hmm. so you know you're not mm-hmm. you know you, we'll do another bible study that'll kind of uh, address some of this you know but um but you have to you have to recognize that this will be probably the result. <laughs> now, I think that there is a possibility that if you go through that initial, you know, um, losing people, that it is possible to rebuild a program that is yeah. based with different criteria in mind that they can be there for other reasons. And mm. that I think ultimately you will be, uh, sorry, you will develop a more intrinsic program. It's mm. not going to be, you know, extrinsically motivated by right. your attendance, you know, you know, on a, on a sheet of paper and that kind of stuff and these quizzes that you're taking. I think what the, the real problem I see with that whole format is that again, on the short term, it seems to work. You get numbers, mm-hmm. but on in the long run, I, I'm when, when you ever, whenever you have these sorts of programs, usually there's a significant drop in numbers one of those who complete the program, and then again, after they're finished with, say, something like confirmation, will they continue to attend the, the church and be an active you know, member in the body and life of, of the congregation? When we saw Alfie Cohn in, in New York, I think he used the example of the kid with a dinosaur. But if not, that was where my mind went. Mm. So maybe I made it up myself. But it's the idea that if you have this kid... We all have seen this, where there's somebody who's not yet in school, and they are just enamored with all of the different Latin terms for for, for dinosaurs. And then at some point in the lo- uh, down the line, they have to take a class, and they have to be tested on it, and they stop caring about dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Now it's a drag. When you start worrying about this for the test, is this on the test? It, it takes away the joy of learning anything. Of course it's going to be the case for what we call in the traditional Christian churches, catechism Mm -hmm. or catechesis. Catholic kids know this. Lutheran kids, this is a big deal for Lutheran kids. As long as you get through those two years (laughs) of confirmation, you study your catechism, you get through it, you at least force them to have the multivitamin. That's what parents think. Yeah. And then they just drop off the map sometimes. And I would say this is where we come in with some experience if you're a Lutheran listening to us or a Roman Catholic and you think that that kind of mandatory class is is inviolate, like, you know, that there's no other way around it. In our evangelical background, there were a lot of people that would come not just for the song and dance, right. but because they cared about going. They'd right. go to voluntarily. They'd go to camp. They'd go on mission trips. Yeah, we... You'd save up money. You you got an extra job so you could yep. go. So I could help pay for these right, things because my tri- family couldn't afford it. So, look, that's not. we're not saying Stacy's a good kid and your kid's bad because they don't want to go. I think part of it is we came into the experience asking, how am I going to plug in? How mm-hmm. am I going to get involved? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for those of you who come from a tradition that's outside of that, you know, uh, keep that part, you know, don't try to overly entertain the kids. I would say the same thing is true. The, the flip side would be for evangelical kids, for non-denominational kids, give them a little bit more substance. That's going to keep them around a lot of the time too. Mm-hmm. Having something more than just Frisbee and pizza. Mm-hmm. There's the fun part. And then there's something that's really transformative. Right. And so I think, you know, both of these types of groups, the, the, the highly formalized 
catechism mm-hmm. and you've got to be here and you've got to take the quiz. Now, this is not absolute, but it's just worth noting that that if it's true for dinosaurs, it might be true for the Jesus. Yeah, right? my, my real concern would be those that choose to, you know, after they're finished with this you know, type of program that, and they choose not to be a part of, of the church. I think it kind of almost checks off a box, like been there, done yeah. that. And if it's almost that much hard, it's like, it's, it's, I think significantly harder to get them to come back around and realize that the true beauty and love and, and what the gospel message is and the real good news is mm-hmm. later on as adults. One of the things I found is that when I'm teaching freshman intro to Christianity classes, the kids that went to confirmation are off, often just totally checked out. Like, I've, I've seen this. Mm-hmm. I've done this. Mm-hmm. I know this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not all that interested, and I can get an A on this. And it's not something that is worth exploring in terms of how am I going to actually figure my career out and who I marry and, and how I think about politics and all of this, bringing these conversations about faith into life. It's just something that's tucked away. We talked about this on an earlier episode that when you have this mind splitting, there's this little magical realm you play this game and it's called church. Mm -hmm. So there's scouting and then there's ice skating. There was actually a, a a crazy, uh, interesting line when Remember King of the Hill, the cartoon King yeah. of the Hill? And Bobby, the son on that show, he's getting really into Jesus. Yeah. And then the dad says, you know, I've got a, I've got a box in the garage where it has your clarinet and your you know, garbage pail kids <laughs> and your remote control car. These things that you're really into for a time. He says, I don't really want you to treat spirituality or as one of these as one of those facts that you did. Yeah. It's yeah. got to be a real live question. And so that's what happens when you, when you make it you know, something that's just out on the table is a real, a real question. Honestly, I don't have, I don't really have a good solution. And I do think it is important. For the person who's a youth pastor. Yeah. Or, or if this is, if this is how your, if your church has done some sort of program like this, you know, I don't really know how do you change that up in a, in a, in a healthy way without, again, you know, losing your numbers and things like that. And losing your job. And losing your job. Um, so I mean, I, but I do think that there is, you know, there is definitely. I think the more minds that we put to this, we rec- if, again recognizing the problem. First yeah. of all, is the first step. They're individuals that have thoughts, and if you and if you start to see that they're stressed out, like maybe relieve that stress part, take some of the stress out of it, so that they can just enjoy the learning rather than, you know, whatever it is they're afraid to fail on the quiz and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I I mean, I remember with our kids, you know, sometimes, you know, especially I remember with Augie, I mean, he would have these tests and, and it, you know, it, it is kind of, it, it is a little frightening sometimes, you know, like. You're going to get an effing God. <laughs> effing God. Yeah, I don't want to know. But I do think that for the parents that, you know, feel that this education is important, I think that there should, you know, it would it would be good to, be able to encourage conversation and dialogue between the parent and the child as part of, you know, even if it's just part of, you know, what they, not to give more assignments to it to Mm. add to the stress. But what I am saying though, is, is that if there are interesting questions that, that they can engage together with as parent and child and, and wrestle through some of this and then come back, you know, and, and talk about, you know, some of what 
discourse, you know, went on at, at home and stuff with the whole group. There is something interesting there. I think sometimes, sometimes the, you know, the attraction to being a part of something like say Cub Scouts is that like that the sons are going to be there with their fathers and they want to hang out with their dads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there is sometimes an activity that you might do, you know, with a parent just to spend time with them. We mm-hmm. get so busy these days that there's, a, there's not a lot of group, you know, like our, you know, parent child activities that we do where we get to really just talk mm-hmm. to one another. And I think, I don't know, even if, if, if there's nothing else, but you as a parent, if you can start engaging in, you know, this, if you, if your child is in confirmation and sort of maybe help with, you know, what are they learning and, and discussing it with them and what are their fears and what are their frustrations and what are, you know, and then maybe the parents can bring this information back to the, the youth leaders so that maybe there can be a way to relieve some of the, you know, the obligation aspect of it in a way that can be more productive and, and actually focus on what is the, you know, what is really the good news about the gospel? Yeah, right. That's, <laughs> you know? That should be the motivation. But to, to, to a real practical angle on this for the, for, the, uh, for the person who wrote the question, and that is that sometimes, going back to the very beginning of our show, we were saying sometimes you, you will do things that don't feel immediately motivating, Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're going to have agency by realizing you're not able to do it exactly how you want to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much everybody's job, every church job for sure. You know, you'd rather it be more liturgical or more free. You'd rather be outside under the trees, whatever. You don't get to just make it be exactly how you want it to be. There's a humility there. And there's also, I think, another thing that's important, and that is to say, you don't let the kids just sit at home and do, you know, play on the computer. Yeah, if if they're going to opt out of church attendance or these programs, yeah. No, the alternative isn't just to go have free play, you know, instead of, you know, their church time. I've contemplated saying, you know, to Aiden, all right, if you don't want to, if you don't want to go to church, we're still going to, we're still going to go to a, like a lecture here on, you know, the history of religion or something. You're Mm going to, we're going to talk about these things because we want you to not close off a part of the human experience and, and life. But we're doing this because, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of kid who would have, would have probably appreciated a little bit more nudging to keep with the violin. You know, I dropped out of violin too fast. So it's to not be indulgent, but to be respectful and to give young people and old, this is start of life, end of life, agency over their own, their own feelings, right? Like the, Mm -hmm. and recognizing their own feelings and also certainly their beliefs. And then those beliefs are going to play into their activities. I think parents also, if you're listening to this, be in conversation with church workers if your kids are going to church and give them that permission. Maybe they don't realize that you don't necessarily want to drag your kids out to something. And if you can work together to see what's what's going to be really healthy and wholesome for you as a group, uh, that's going to be better. And I think it's the illusion of losing or it's the reality of losing people in the short run mm-hmm. to programs that scares people everybody and gets them all spooked but if you're asking about what the long-range solution is it's actually pretty easy that that making people miserable in church doesn't keep people in church after 25 no you know the other thing i kind of thought of is sometimes even just almost if if the leader themselves is maybe honest with the group and you know there are days when 
I don't want to be here, right? right? There are days I've had a bad day and it's really hard to, you know, mm-hmm. come back here in the evening or mm-hmm. whatever it is or stay here longer on a Sunday or whatever. But, you know, why are you making this decision to be there and what is so important about it to you? And communicating that with the children saying, this is why this is important. This is why it matters. And this is why I'm so passionate about doing my work. You Babe, know? you brought us full circle because <laughs> if you could do nothing else, dear uh, writer of this question, <laughs> mm-hmm. listener and writer of the question, if you go back to that first question, if you could do nothing else but to say, I am going to at least get the cards on the table that says, sometimes I don't want to be here doing it this way because I'd rather this be free. But it can't be free because our church has always done it this way. And secondly, why are you here? And they might say, I don't really want to be here, but I want to be respectful of my parents. That changes things so profoundly right, right. that they're saying, okay, I know that this isn't something that I normally would do with my time, but I'm going to do it because I care about my family. They think it's important is, for some reason. Yeah, and I so love them. I want to learn why this is important to them. Yep. And, and I want to know why it is that I should be here mm-hmm. and what I, what's so important for me to learn. Yep. There's one last question I want to address before we end here. So somebody says, I think the most dangerous part was the religion as a rock band shirt slash tattoo. This is something I develop a little bit more in the in the written in the written part. Version. So those of you that are, have followed along again, you can get a free copy of that the, that, chapter. that chapter just to kind of get a sample of what it's going to look like by going to our website. So he continues. It says the metaphor strikes very close to universalism. All religions are okay. We're all worshiping God in our own way. Don't worry about it. So are all religions base are all religions basically saying the same thing? Is that what we're saying here, Jeff? <laughs> No, and I really do appreciate Stephen Prothero. Stephen Prothero is a really good um, religion scholar, and he he wrote a book that I like. It's called God is Not One, and most important for me in that book is the intro, and that is that the different religions are actually after different things. Buddhism is trying to overcome um, desire, which leads to suffering. Islam is trying to get to a place of submission, and Christianity is trying to overcome the problem of sin. You know, so there's all these different ways of asking a question and then responding in, in, in terms of religion. When we're using the word religion as kind of a bad word, mm-hmm. and sometimes we will in, in the Protect Your Noggin with Jesus book or on the podcast, what we're saying is it's this other stuff that we put in place of the primary core content of the faith, right? So... Let me use Buddhism because I think it'll be easier and, and for a lot of our listeners not as close to home. But um, there are people that have little statues of Buddha, of, of a Buddha or Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, the, the Buddha, in their backyard, you know, under a tree by a, by a, by a pool. Or they have, they have Buddhist prayer beads or something. And it's just an accoutrement. It's just like, it's usually often cultural appropriation. It's not something that they really have studied. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know really what the, who the heck this Buddha is. But it's a good, you know, cool looking woke looking statue. And so that's what we're saying when, when it comes to the, the t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Now, 
the question of whether or not the Buddha has anything to offer you, dear listener, That's, is a different question, yes. right? So what the key is, though, is that there are way too many people that think that they're Buddhists or way too many people out there that have the, the trappings of Buddhist imagery and so forth on their yoga pants or something. And, of course, the same is true with Hinduism and so forth or Madonna with the crucifix or something. It, it so becomes They a, get caught up in the things and, and yeah. lose sight of what the actual message is, right? Yeah. So you need, to, you need to make a choice about which concert you're going to, yes. what message you're hearing. And yes. we're not saying that even all of them are good to go to. Yeah, some of them are going to be really dangerous. No, <laughs> you know? the universalism. I mean, if we're asking, are all religions saying the same thing? Absolutely not. That's no. at, at, a, at a scholarly level, Stephen Prothero shows that no, they're not. In a in a basic philosophical way, no, if you have competing truth claims, then they certainly aren't saying the same thing. There is, however, one thing I do find interesting, and that is there is a great deal of resonance between the traditions at the level of mysticism. So Sufis have said things that sound a lot like Kabbalistic Jews, and I've said a lot of things that those sounded a lot like Catholic mystics, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and so you should, and then the Eastern Orthodox mystic, and then the then the Lutheran mystic. So you you go to all of these, and what are they really getting to? They're usually on a very simple question, recognizing something, and that is that there is an interconnection between all these things. That when I see somebody else, I'm realizing that we're part of the same reality that has some transcendent source. Mm-hmm. The Stoics thought this. And Paul himself says this on the Areopagus when he's uh, the Apostle Paul says, hey, listen, I've been reading some of your Stoics. Oh, I see. Yeah. And they're right. In God, we live, move and have our being. This is real, you know. And so there's there's that. So you might catch little glimpses of things. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? That little. Well, there's a glimpse. And then there. But there's the core teaching. Yes. Right. So. You know, the, the, the court teaching sometimes will be more similar across the religions. Again, like so the, a mystical theology is going to be more harmonious with other mystical theologies, Catholic, Jewish, and Muslim say. Mm-hmm. And the more dogmatic you are, the less commonality gotcha. you're going to have because it's more cognitive. But we're not talking about either of those things in right. chapter one. And so we'll go back and maybe try to make sure that we that's clear. clarified it. But well, we're, what we're, I think, primarily getting at is when the, the trappings and all of the mm-hmm. side things become, you know, the priority mm-hmm. and not, you know, the, the concert itself, we're right? The, you concert, lose... the concert is the music mm-hmm. and you have this experience and then theology is like the conversation you have on the drive home from the concert. It's not the thing itself. It's right. important, but it's not the thing itself. And the t-shirt isn't the music. Right. The t-shirt is a way for you to remember the music. And if I didn't say it well enough, dear listener, thank you for writing in because it sounds like maybe I didn't. I think that ta- I have tattoos. I have banned T-shirts, mm-hmm. and they remind me of that original reality, that core reality. So we're not saying that religion is bad, full stop. We're saying that religion, apart from the core that that animated it in the original, is unhelpful. And there is one truth. And there is one truth, and but you got to figure it out as yeah. part of it, right? You got to use your noggin. But but do, do you see what I'm saying, Stacey? Right. That the, the, a tattoo reminds me of a time when I had a realization. I had one of my tattoos mm-hmm. is a is a osprey letting go of a death faced uh, mermaid, mm-hmm. and it's related to when my father had to let go of a seventy thousand dollar contract that some bank 
wasn't going to pay him. Right. When, in so some of these things, if we keep carrying these burdens, mm-hmm. it will become the death of us if we're not careful. So, and so you've got to let it go. The tattoo isn't, though, the tattoo isn't that realization that I can be letting go of resentment. It's a reminder. It's, it is a, um, an amnesis. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a way of recalling. And so we should recall these things. And what are we re- going to recall, Stacey? We're going to recall, I think, the most important thing that we found recently, and that is that we can have in this life shalom. Mm, yes. Mm. And we offer it to you. Yes. So peace upon peace, friends. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Because you found this letter in love too much.